we had to sell houses, like get rid of houses, move multiple times because like what I was doing was just so expensive. But he wanted me to do what I loved and like saw that I was passionate about something which was really important to him. And um, he was full on like willing to support something that I loved. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Chloe Kim. Chloe is a five-time X Games champion and Olympic gold medalist in the halfpipe. She's the youngest woman to ever win snowboarding gold at the Olympics, as well as the first ever to land back-to-back 1080s in a competition. In 2018, after her breakout performance in the Olympics, Chloe won a trio of ESPYs for Best Female Athlete, Best Female Olympian, and Best Female Action Sports Athlete. Chloe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Where are we finding you today? I am currently home in Marina Del Rey, California. So you're in Southern California, and that's where you grew up in Torrance, but you are an Olympic gold medalist in snowboarding. So explain how you got into that because there are no mountains near Torrance, California, except for, you know, a couple hours away. So give us a rundown on how you got into snowboarding. Yeah. So I started when I was four and I actually started skiing when I was three and I didn't really do it. I went like twice my dad wanted to try skiing or like some type of snow sports. So we went to mountain high. And so that's like where we would go. And then when I was four, I tried snowboarding and I was like really good at it. So then it just kind of became a thing I learned with my dad. And um, so the true story, honestly, yeah, okay, okay, the real story is like, that's like my interview, whatever. That's my yeah, interview yeah, yeah. answer. Okay. But the real story is my dad wanted to try snowboarding with my mom, but my okay. mom didn't want to go. So my dad took me to like bribe her. But then I was like unexpectedly really good at it. So it was my dad trying to bribe my mom to go. And uh, I ended up finding the sport I was supposed to do. That's amazing. And a great story. And we got the true story. That's like you heard it here first. (laughs) Had your dad ever been skiing or snowboarding before, like as a kid? Or was he just like, oh, I'm interested. I want to try this. Yeah, I think he just wanted to try it because I think California is kind of known where you're able to do a snow sport and like be at the beach in the same day. It's like kind of our thing. Yeah. Um, so he was like, oh my gosh, I really want to try. Like, that's so cool. I want, want to try and be on the snow because I don't know if he's had experience with the snow. I don't know if he grew up in a snowy area in Korea. But anyways, so yeah, it was like super random, but it worked out. So your dad takes you and you are four years old, first time you get on a snowboard and you're good at it. What does that even mean? Like, what does that even look like as a four-year-old being good at snowboarding? It's just like, you're fearless. What does that yeah, look like? Yeah, I think it was just one being fearless. I learned how to turn really quickly and really easily. And, you know, like I was able to understand how to snowboard like way better than my parents, my dad especially. My dad like started taking me more often and he saw that I had potential. So then um, we started doing it more. And my dad is so funny because he didn't know how to snowboard. Like getting on and off of a chairlift is very, very difficult. I think it's one of the harder things to do, especially for a beginner. So what my dad would do is we'd get onto the chairlift. And when we were about to get off, he'd like grab me and get ready to fall because like he just knew it was coming. But like, I got annoyed, right? Because at a certain point, I've kind of figured out how to get off without falling every single time. But he couldn't. But he couldn't. So when I was like five or six, I was like, yo, dad, like you, if you're going to fall, do it. Don't drag me down with you. Like, let me do my thing. Let me spread my wings. So he was like, okay, fine. And obviously I rode away just fine. And my dad like fell and they had to stop the chairlift and it was this whole thing. Totally. I feel like it looks way better when you have a kid because you're like, oh, you know, trying to help the kid. The kid fell. Yeah. But now is my dad and everyone's just annoyed. But like we would ride all day. So we're doing this all day, like after every single run, like we're going back up and falling. Has your dad been able to learn how to get off chairlift by now? You know, he still struggles sometimes, but he's definitely better. Yeah. So I grew up skiing and then switched to snowboarding when I was a teenager, obviously not at the Olympic level just for fun, but you have to have a little bit of fearlessness or not know any better so that you don't get scared. Because I feel like people who learn later on in life, you know what pain feels like and you don't want to get injured. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had no sense of pain 
at that age. Yeah. So when did snowboarding change from like, oh, this is just something I enjoy doing to I'm in a half pipe trying to nail a trick? So when I was like six, there was a competition at, at Mountain High and my parents were like, cool, let's sign her up and just see how she does. Like no idea of what's going on. I don't necessarily know how many people I was competing against, but I got third, which is cool because I like never practiced or thought about it before. And so my dad was like, okay, like she got a bronze medal. That's cool. So I wonder what would happen if we like started practicing. Like, you know, it's like exciting. Like it was just a fun thing. My dad had a daughter that was like really into a sport. He was like really stoked because I also feel like it was something he perceived as only being able to have with a son. But, you know, me being his daughter and him being able to like have that experience with his daughter was like really cool. So he's like really stoked about it. And so we started like training like I would go to the mountain like after school and ride at night because they had night riding so I do that and then like the next year I started like winning a couple contests and then the year after that I'd start winning a couple contests and then when I was eight I moved to Switzerland to live with my aunt because my parents wanted me to learn French so I went and lived in Geneva for a couple years but by yourself on your own yeah with with your relatives okay yeah And my parents would come visit me like once in a while. But the cool thing about Switzerland is our winter breaks, I think, would be like a month long. They'd be like long, long like breaks. So during all my breaks, I'd be able to go snowboard because Switzerland has like the best snow in the world. So there, that's kind of when I became a little more experienced with half pipes. Like I had competed in pipe before, but like they weren't like good half pipes. So So fast forward to Geneva. Yeah. And you said that your parents sent you there so that you could learn French fluently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you think there's a little bit in the back of your dad's mind, like mm, Geneva mountains, she's good at snowboarding. She'll be able to do it a lot. <laughs> I don't think so. Because the other thing is like my family and I, we were balling on a budget. Like growing up, I had a lot of kids that were very wealthy and like came from wealthy families. So like, obviously they could go and travel the world and do all that at a young age. My immigrant parents, they did not have that. So me going to Switzerland was like important to them. My sisters had done it too. So that was like part of a thing that was like guaranteed. But then... You just knew at eight years old you were going to get shipped to Switzerland. I just knew. It was like part (laughs) of my destiny. (laughs) The cool thing about my dad is he's really good at finding like bargains, deals. Like he's a negotiator, negotiator. So he was somehow able to maneuver some like We'd stayed at like a chalet once in the mountains with like another like a school and they had like an empty room. So like we stayed there instead of like a hotel that would have cost us thousands of dollars for a week. Just like things like that that I actually really appreciated. It was so much fun. But there they had really good half pipes. So I would like practice and like I had a lot of fun in them. I also love slope style. So like jumps and stuff. And so they had really good jumps there too. So I was able to like have a lot of fun and get a little more extreme. And then when I was nine, I went back to that mountain for a contest that they had called the Burton European Open. And I did the junior jam. So I was like a baby. And I won the pipe contest there and got third in slope style. That's incredible. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like that was my first big win. I was like super excited. Yeah. It was kind of affirming that you were really good. Yeah. And And I was like pretty like big contest in a sense like a bunch of kids from a bunch of different countries would go and like compete there so it was like almost like a pro contest well it felt like a pro contest to me and I think from there I was like okay I think I'm actually really good at this so let's keep trying and see what happens and then from there it just gets like uninteresting no it doesn't (laughs) I I feel like it's just getting started (laughs) so you go into this competition you're you said junior Junior jam jam. yeah (laughs) I love that and so you get to Geneva, there's half pipes there, there's like good train parks. Are you just going and kind of free balling it and just going for it, coming up with things on your own? Or at this point, are you like watching other people? How did you learn or figure out like, oh, I want to try this or I want to try that? So my dad was a mechanical engineer. So he like was like a physics genius. Right? I love this. I'm, this is right up my alley. <laughs> so... You know, like we see other kids doing tricks. And I feel like when I first started snowboarding and my dad would do a little bit of research and then the first person he thinks about is like Sean White, right? Like that Sean White was like at his peak when I like kind of was starting. 
So like we'd watch a bunch of his tricks, right? And then we're like, okay, that kind of opened the door like some like women snowboarders because my we didn't know anything about snowboarding when we first started. So like I was like, we were just like completely running in the dark. And so we, <laughs> we find some like women snowboarders. So at the time I was like Gretchen Blyler, Hannah Teeter, Kelly Clark, and like my best friend now, Ariel Gold, was like killing it. She was like the dope like 12-year-old at the time, like when I was like eight or yeah, I think that's right. So I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> Ariel Gold, she's so cool. I actually like was a huge fan of hers. And there were like other girls around my age that were like YouTube famous too that would do tricks. So we had a good amount of resources. But my dad, back to the physics major situation, he would analyze the hell out of every single trick. So like anytime I do something, he'd be like, okay, so like try to do this instead of that because like gravity and like your momentum, like, I'm like, I don't know what momentum is, dad. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and giving you little physics, like lessons on the side to be like, this is why you should hold your board this way, like, or turn yeah. your body that way. But like, sometimes he'd be completely wrong. Like when it would snow and the snow is like really heavy, he thought like I needed to put my weight forward because like, that's how you get speed in physics but like really I needed to lean on my back foot so I would like float on top of the snow and not like dig in and fall it's like there are like funny mistakes he'd make there where like it just you know didn't make sense to him but because of his like engineering background and like we saw tricks that were like possible to do on a snowboard through other people it was like a really good combination like he definitely helped me out a lot <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like he's one of the biggest players in your career, which is so special. At what point did dad say, okay, I'm good at physics, but I might not really know snowboarding and you need a real coach if she wants to make it to the next level? Yeah, so I had like a few coaches here and there. Like I had a coach briefly when I was like eight. When I was like in Switzerland, I joined like the Swiss team. Yeah, I like had a good amount of coaches, but my dad was honestly like my biggest coach. I genuinely trusted everything he said and really valued his opinion on a lot of things. And so when it came to like trust and like confidence, it was like all him. He was like my favorite coach and the best coach I could have. And so he honestly taught me most of my tricks up until I was like 13. And then when I was like 13 and I was like doing bigger things and like more rotations and more flips he kind of decided to take a step back because when I was like 12 13 I started going higher in the air and I think at that moment he was like this fall is gonna hurt a lot more so if I say something wrong like I could honestly jeopardize her possible career so he kind of like took a step back and let coaches handle it when I was like 12. Yeah, that makes sense. He's probably so proud of you, but also half the time terrified when you're in the air. Like, does he get nervous when you're competing? I don't know if he gets nervous. I know there's like a viral picture of him at the bottom of the Olympic pipe. Like during my runs, he's just double fisting beers. Like, <laughs> I need to meet your dad. He sounds awesome. Yeah, no, like he seems really chill. My mom's the one that gets so nervous. Like she's like frozen when I'm competing. Like she can't move. She can't breathe. Like it's insane. Yeah, I feel like that you're the combination of the two because you seem very chill when you're competing. Yeah, I'm pretty laid back. I don't know how I'm going to be now, though. Like, I'm kind of scared to like affect a contest, but we'll see. Because you haven't been competing for a while? Yeah, I haven't been snowboarding for a while. <laughs> like, yeah. It's insane. But yeah. I honestly think it's all muscle memory. I'm not too stressed about it. I agree. I think that you'll be just fine. Trust me. From somebody who has been out of sports for long stretches of time because of injury, like, it comes back pretty quickly in terms of like the technical aspect of it. So that's, I think it'll be fine. That's such a relief. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, okay. So you go to Geneva, you learn French, you become really good at snowboarding and you turn professional at 12, right? So, I mean, as a soccer player and a lot of other athletes, becoming a professional doesn't happen until you're into your twenties. What went into that decision to turn professional? I mean, I guess what is the definition of pro, you know, like there's so many different definitions of pro. I don't really know what pro is, but for me personally, it was just like the moment I start going to bigger contests and like getting invited to bigger contests and getting sponsored and getting paid by sponsors. But if I went by that definition, then that would have been when I was like 12. 
And so I found this out a little later, but I think my parents had a discussion kind of talking about it. Cause like I said, we didn't have like all the money in the world and they didn't, so they couldn't just give it all to me and my sport. Yeah. And snowboarding's expensive. <laughs> yeah. All so the travel, expensive. all the yeah. travel, all the lodging, like it's insane. And we like moved multiple times and like all of that just to like support what I love to do and what I was good at. But I guess when I was like 10, 11, like when things started to get a little more serious to the point where I was doing really well and like better than a lot of other kids, my dad was like, I can't support her forever. Like if she is like, you know, if she gets stuck at the junior level and isn't able to like make any money or anything, then like we can't support her because it's just like impossible for us in our situation. So they didn't tell me any of this given because when I'm 13, I don't understand what this means. So I guess they agreed that if I wasn't like podiuming or like doing well in big contest by the time I was 13, then they would have to cut it. Like realistically, it just wasn't possible, which is so funny because right when I turned 13, I started podiuming at every single contest. You just knew there was something inside of you. I guess I did. I guess I did. But like from the time I was 11 to 12, I just like progressed so much. Like it was insane. Like so much change in my writing and I learned so many new tricks. And then when I was 13, it was like, would win this big contest or would get second at this big contest, would get silver at the X Games, like would get bronze here at the US Open, like all of these crazy things. So insane at such a young age. Insane. And then when I was 13, at the end of that season, I got an awesome contract from Monster and like I got like a good amount of money for a 13 year old. And that was just like crazy because with that, I was able to like pay for all my travel, like all my food, like everything I needed for multiple seasons. And like that was just awesome. And then when I was 14, I started like winning contests. So it honestly changed so fast by the time like 11 to 12. And from there on, it was just like insane. Yeah. So what do you think caused the change? Like what happened in the years of your life, 11 and 12? Or was it just like you had been doing it long enough that it had become natural and like your full potential was starting to be realized? I don't know. I don't know what I did differently. I didn't grow a lot. Like I didn't gain a bunch of weight to like where I had more speed. I don't know what happened. It was like when I was 11, I was going like three feet out of the half pipe. And when I was 12, I was going like 10 feet out of the half pipe. Like it was like insane. And then like when I was 13, I was going like consistent, like 10 to 13 feet out. Like it was like a really big jump. What is normal at that age for like the height to get out of the half pipe? What were other people your age doing? I mean, like if you look at other people that age now, like 11, 12, they're like probably getting a foot or two out. Like it's- So you were just, you were like- years beyond where you were yeah like I honestly might have been better than I am now like I just had this crazy peak moment and like there when I was like 13 I learned like a bunch of big girl tricks right I was doing like 900 so I became the youngest woman to do a 900 and then like when I was 14 I learned 1080s which is something that all the girls were winning with and now I was starting to do it so when I put it together in runs I was able to win contests with that and then when I was 15 I learned like the cab 1080s And then I did them back to back. So that's why I like started winning contests with that too, because I was the first woman to do back to back 1080s. It was just like, since I was 12, I just kept progressing so fast, was learning so many tricks and was really like improving that. I don't know. I like don't know if I can get back to that. (laughs) Oh, come on. You're going to be fine. It's all up here at this point. Yeah. No, I mean like that learning, like that speed of learning, that was like so insane. I just genuinely don't think it's possible for anyone to do that. Like, I don't know how I did it. Yeah. So at what point do you think you realized that you had it, the it factor that like I could be an Olympic gold medalist? Was it before the progression started? Was it during? Was it once you started podiuming? This is like something I kind of left out my bad. But (laughs) while I was in Switzerland, we were at a mountain and I was like 10 at this point. I think I was like nine or 10. And we saw this girl snowboarding in the half pipe and she was like really good. And so we like went down and talked to her coach while she was riding. And the coach was like, yeah, like she's an Olympian. And my dad was like, really? And my dad was like, okay, she's really good. But I could see like my daughter getting to that point in no time. Like, I think it's possible for her. I think that's kind of when the dream started to become 
almost realistic for him. It was just like something he really, he loved the idea of it and he thought it was actually possible. So she really like inspired this like Olympic journey because it didn't seem unattainable at that time. So then like- Who was it? Do you remember who it was? I don't remember the name. She was a Japanese snowboarder. Yeah, but the thing about that story or like this story is that you had probably never seen an Olympic snowboarder before in real life, maybe not even on television, you know, and to be able to see that. And then your dad had this realization and you were able to see it. Yeah. I mean, obviously it would be cool if you remembered, but the fact was like you saw an Olympic snowboarder and you're like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy how that works. Right. So then like that was a really big eye opener for me and my dad. And when I was 13, I qualified for the Olympic team, like technically, but I was too young to go. And I think from there, my dad was like, oh my God, I was able to compete in them, like kind of just for fun. And my dad was like, yeah, it would be funny if he like made the team and like couldn't go, right? Because like, that's funny. There's no, it's going to happen. But literally it happened. And I think I got second and third at like the last two qualifiers and I like podiumed at the other ones. So explain, because people listening probably don't understand. You're 13, you make Team USA. What does that even mean to make Team USA? Because is it selected by a coach? Is it based on your performances in different events and how you rank? Give us that info. (laughs) I always assume everyone knows what my sport is. I don't even understand it. (laughs) So the way we qualify for the Olympics is we have qualification events and we have four to five the season before and so they will take like the top four riders like the top four people who did the best at those contests like they'll be the ones that are able to go and so when I say like I qualified for the team it meant that I was one of those four people who did really well at all the contests and each contest depending on what place you get you get like x amount of points so at the end of all the contests they'll like round up all those scores and the people with the highest will be able to go. So I landed like second or third on that list when I was 13. My parents were like, that's really funny. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, what did that feel like? Like you, because, and then for people listening, like you said, you were too young. You couldn't even go compete, even though you had earned a spot on that team. You couldn't go compete in the Olympics. So what was that like? Were you bummed or were you just like more pumped that you had made it? The one thing I miss from that time in my career was... I think I wasn't bummed because like I understood the, you know, the rules and stuff like that. It is what it is. I already knew that that was going to be the case going into it. But I think when I actually qualified, I was bummed because I think when I first started and I first started getting on podiums and stuff, that's like such an awesome time in, in anyone's career because there's no pressure in you to do well. You don't like have to consistently like keep doing well to, I guess, like, please others in a sense, not really please others, but just like you have that reputation. Now I have that reputation of winning everything. There's no expectations when you haven't won before. Like no one cares. No matter what you do, everyone's like hyped. (laughs) So I was like, oh, it would have been so cool to go because I think that's why I did so well too at contests back then when I should have been nervous was I was like, I'm a baby compared to everyone else. I have so much more time to learn. Like every contest is a great experience for me and I'm learning and no one expects me to do well everyone kind of expects me to do poorly because I'm a baby (laughs) so like that's cool like being the underdog is cool so I was like darn it would have been cool to like go and like hang out I was almost trying to see if um, they'd take me with them just so I can like experience it but that didn't happen (laughs) yeah for sure did you end up watching the Olympics I did yeah um and it was I know that one was rough for my sport. I remember watching them like hose the half pipe down with water, trying to get it to freeze because they were really struggling. One of my friends got injured on that trip. So I was like, it's cool that I didn't go. I was about to say, it might have been what was meant to be for you. But also I was 13. I feel like I would have just bounced back. Like now if I fall, like it hurts. But like back then I could walk it off and go back up and try it again. I miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Getting old isn't fun. Um, in terms of body it really isn't I oh my gosh I don't even want to get into it but as soon as I just turned 20 and I'm just like thinking about when I was like 12 and 13 like just chilling living my best life I'm like I miss it it's very it's very different (laughs) it is but I don't know I think like 
when I was 14, I started like winning contests. And that's kind of when those expectations started to build. The pressure started to build was like signing with bigger sponsors. And like, that's when I really felt pressure. And like, then we found out that the Olympics were going to be in Korea. For sure. That was like crazy because like my parents immigrated from South Korea. Like that was going to be a first Olympics. And uh, it honestly fit the story so well. Yeah. It was just like the perfect storm. I know you have such like, yeah, such a special story with so many aspects that just like come together beautifully. But so, okay. So you qualify for Team USA. You're too young. You're bummed, but you're not that bummed. And fast forward 2015, 2016 X Games, you win gold at the next two X Games, beat Kelly Clark, which was, she's obviously a legend in the snowboarding world, but you're only 15 at the time, 15 and 16, like you talked about having no pressure when you're younger, no, you know, no expectations. Is this when you started to feel pressure and have expectations on yourself? Or are you still at this point, like, oh, I'm just having fun and going to go out and do my thing? I think that was kind of the point where I started to feel pressure because Kelly still is a queen, but like back then was like the snowboarding, like unbeatable. She won like 18 contests undefeated or something crazy like that. And uh, at all our contests after that X Games, it was always a back and forth between me and her. And um, then I like learned the cab 1080 and then it started to become like I was able to win more frequently than before. I started to feel a lot of pressure and like really like stressed out. I was like really stressed out. I don't know why, but I also think during that period of time, you're kind of learning a lot about yourself, you know, like teen, For bad sure. teenage years. Like I was. <laughs> that, what did a day-to-day life look like for you? Because you're a teenager, you, you know, you still have school, which you obviously it's very important to you. You're now enrolled in Princeton, but you're also a professional athlete traveling the world, trying to win contests and like thinking about the Olympics. So what did a day in the life look like? Yeah. So normally my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I had just started homeschooling. So I was like really, really new to it. And um, I was trying to balance like snowboarding, like with school, which is almost impossible if you think about the travel and all the work that needs to be done. So I did really bad my first two years of high school. That's just straight up. I had no idea what I was doing. But then towards the end of my sophomore year and like my junior and senior year, I was able to figure it out a little more. So my sophomore year, Before I went on a trip, I did all the work I had to do on that trip beforehand so I could just not think about it. And then my junior, my senior year, I did both years in one year. So I did, yeah. (laughs) So so I did um, basically all of it during the summer or like kind of during the fall right before a season. I tried to be done because the Olympics fell on my senior year. And yeah, I, I was about to ask to about that. Yeah, that yeah. was on purpose. So you wanted full focus on the Olympics. You wanted to be done with school by that. Yeah, I wanted to be Smart. done. It was so stressful. Like there was so much work to do, so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I don't want to stress you out about, you know, back I'm getting hot. Like, <laughs> me too. You're making me stress. <laughs> but no, I mean, to be able to balance that, like that's not, that's not an easy task and to yeah. be the best at the world. And then also, again, do very well in school. Like it's pretty incredible, but I want to get into this 1080. So one, can you explain to people what a 1080 is? 1080 is like three full spins. I know like the math doesn't add up, but in half pipe, it like kind of happens because we technically take off at a 90 degree angle. So we already like gain some as we're spinning. So that's like a thing. So I learned a normal 1080, normal front side 1080 when I was 14. Okay. And it was like new. I was super excited about it. Yay. And then <laughs> when I was 15, I was like, it'd be really cool to do it the other way because I don't, it hadn't been done before by a woman. So I was like, cool. So I tried it. And um, that one was really hard to learn. I took some good falls on that. But eventually I got it figured out. And then that's when the back to back 1080s were born. But it's a lot of spinning. Yeah. So when you're, um, trying to learn this trick are you doing it on land first like into a foam pit or are you just like oh, i'm gonna go out and try to bust this out on this run yeah no you just go do it 
You just go do it. Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay. So you kind of like build your way up. Like I'm not like I can't have you go do a 1080. Yeah. But well. like, <laughs> I mean, we can try. I'm sure you do it. <laughs> your athleticism will definitely like be on your side. I did not think so, but appreciate <laughs> but, um, the support. Yeah. So for me, like the most important thing was making sure I had the spin before that unlock, which I did when I decided to learn it. So it was like, it goes like 180, 360, 540, 720, 900, 1080. So like you kind of build your way up. So when I had the 900s down, I was like, I want to try the 1080, like take the next step. And so it's just like half a rotation more. So honestly, it wasn't that bad. Also, I actually prefer the 1080 over the 900 because I don't land blind. So I'm not like not facing the wall when I landed. I can see where I'm going to land during the spin, which is really nice to me. Yeah. So I just felt more comfortable like learning that one. Now, if I were to learn like another trick that I wasn't very comfortable with, I'd probably try to do it on land or like visualize it more, like do it into an airbag even. But for that one, I just felt really comfortable. That's fascinating. So would you say that your preparation for some like a trick is more mental or it's just like, oh, I just need repetition? Like, do you walk yourself through mentally and like feel yourself doing it before you go? I'm kind of like crazy, right? <laughs> like I'm insane. So you seem so like you seem so even keel, though. That's a thing. So I'm <laughs> like, I, I know that you have to probably have a couple screws loose to be able to like fling yourself into the air that high above um, a very compact piece of large snow. So, but it's just funny because you come off as like so chill, but you do have like this thrill seeking yeah, thread um, in your body. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And that's just always how I've been. Like when I was a baby, I was an ER local because I would always hurt myself from jumping to like rolling around, I would always get stuck in the toilet because I'd like fall into the toilet while trying to get something that's in the cabinets. Like I was always, I was very adventurous and that hasn't changed. Like now I understand to like not step on the toilet, but like I seek that thrill in my sport. Do you think that like you, you kind of seek out adrenaline rushes? Do you think that's part of what separates you from other athletes in the, in the sport? I feel like most snowboarders are like that, but it seems like you were like that from a very young age. Yeah, I think for what I do, like being fearless is so important because and trusting yourself is so important because the minute you doubt yourself, you're go actually going to injure yourself. And the minute you start being afraid of what could potentially happen, that's when it's actually going to come true. So for me, I'm the type of person that's going to sleep in a sketchy airplane because if it goes down in flames, I'd rather be asleep during it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just yeah. like, I understand the consequences of what I'm about to do. And like, I know what can potentially happen, but I know I'm going to do it either way. So I might as well just like go full force and do everything I can do to prevent that from happening. So I, so, I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So I'm just like chilling. So you, you've obviously taken some pretty big spills. How do you work yourself into trying again after you've like hit the snow so hard? I... I think this story is like a really good example. So I just learned a trick called a front double 10. So it's like two flips that are like corked. So I do, I'm basically doing a 1080 with the like flips in it. So I'm getting dizzy just thinking about it. Yeah, it's not, it's honestly not that bad. <laughs> okay. But a lot of people normally learn it into an airbag. But for me, like I'm kind of scared of airbags because I've gotten a lot of concussions from them. Wow. So I'd rather just do it on snow, honestly, than be out for a week because I hit my head on an airbag, just trying something I have to do on snow anyways. So I ended up just trying it on snow. But the first one, like I got scared because I didn't know what I was doing. So I like hit, I like decked, which means you kind of go too far out and you hit the coping, like the flat part instead of on the transition. So I decked and I flipped bit my tongue I thought I was gonna die like <laughs> it wasn't even that bad but it just hurt and, so much uh, blood I'm sure yeah good amount of blood and I was like okay that's stupid like I shouldn't have done that but I don't know I for some reason I was like I really want to do it so I'm just gonna go back and try it again so I took a little break 
got the blood out of my mouth, drank some water, had a snack. Same day. Same day. Went and tried it again. Like 10 minutes later. Wow. Went and did it. And I didn't land it, but I fell straight on my butt from like 30 feet, but I got it around. And like that in itself was like a huge accomplishment for me. And um, after slamming over and over and over again, I landed a couple and then I was like super excited. But I just felt more accomplished, like pushing through that fear instead of babying it until I felt comfortable. Because like life is uncomfortable. You're always going to be uncomfortable. And like I, I love what I do and I know I'm good at it. So if I know that I have to try it eventually on snow, I'd rather get the full experience and just go for it. Face the fear head on. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So 2018 Olympics, you're the star, your favorite to win gold. What was your mindset going into the games and like all the expectations people had for you? I was like, well, I'm here, you know, like <laughs> I made it this far. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought about it. I definitely am like superstitious sometimes. Like I'm like, always sometimes overthinking certain situations because in my opinion back then and still now I thought it was like too good to be true like the whole thing was like way too good to be true there's no way I'm gonna like win the Olympics in Korea my first time like no way like my life just I don't get that lucky so there's no way I would get this lucky now so then I was there and I was like kind of felt like how I did when I was younger you know just like I'm gonna do my best and we'll see what happens but it was just such a crazy experience. Like, I'm going to say I was pretty neutral with my Olympic experience. It was. What really- do you mean by that? Like, you, you looking back, you're like, oh, it was, it was what it was. Or you're saying, like, going into it, you tried to stay neutral. Kind of looking back on it. Only hmm. because of a couple of things. So okay, let's hear it. I was favored to win. And me being Korean-American, I had the support of the Koreans. And, um which is like awesome. Like, love that. So special. But the problem was when like the Olympic Village is like very, very like tight knit and secure, right? Like not a lot of people get and get in. There's a lot of like strict rules to keep us safe. And, you know, the people who help us out are like the volunteers. So, you know, Koreans will come and volunteer in the village and like they'll work in the kitchen or like make sure we have what we need or like. Yeah, the host country puts on the whole. Exactly. It's like everything. But I kind of had a problem when they would, like, come up to me and, like, ask for pictures and, like, stuff while I'm eating or, like, while I'm walking to my room or, like, coming out of my room, like, them being there. And it just kind of got to a point where I was really stressed out, like. Totally overwhelming, I'm sure. Right. Like, I was in a new environment. Like, I'm just trying to hang out. But there's, like, people taking pictures of me when, like. I'm just doing like normal things and like people following me around and people whispering about me in Korean when I understand Korean. So that gives (laughs) me more anxiety. Oh no. So I'm just like afraid. And um, that was like kind of stressful for me. I mean, I completely understand where they're coming from, but I, part of me also, you know, like kind of wish that they would understand that this is a really, really big moment for me. And like, I was really, you know, really important. Um, It was important to me. So that was that. But there's one instance where the day of my final, like the final contest, end of the day, I was going to find out if I did well or not, you know, if it happened. Yeah, everything. Not. Yeah. Right. If like happened. if I, if it worked. <laughs> um, and so the village was like an hour and a half away from the venue. So we had to take a bus to get to the venue. And our practice started at like eight or something. So I had to wake up at like six and get breakfast real quick and jump on the bus so we can get there before practice started. So like 7.30 ideally. So I'm like tired. I couldn't sleep the night before. I was like stressed. So I was like taking a nap on the bus and one of the volunteers, I felt so bad, but one of the volunteers like shook me and like woke me up like while I was napping. And I was like, I don't want to be mean like I'm so sorry but like I need to take a nap like I'm tired she shook you because she wanted a picture what did she want yeah he he wanted a picture oh, okay. like an autograph like yeah. on the bus oh no while we were moving and I was like oh my god and like normally like if my like coach or anyone wasn't around I feel like it would have been okay but like my coach saw it and obviously he's pissed because like you know this is important. you need your sleep yeah yeah this is like important for me but also like the team and so he's like it was like this whole thing. 
but it was just like things like that that would happen but the other thing too was I was so overwhelmed the whole time like I was just so stressed out because I feel like everyone there is like really tense and like stressed too so you take a bunch of people who are all stressed and put them in one like space like that's just not productive like we're no, all it's, it's a it's a lot of stressful energy in a yeah. very confined area like, it's just sure. bouncing off the wall so everyone's just stressed and then there's like media days in the village so like the media is talking to like all these other stressed people and i'm getting asked about like these really dumb questions like about the village like you probably like you know welcome you probably... to professional sports <laughs> oh my god i was like walking to my apartment and someone one of the media they asked me they were like, like stuff can get cut out if it's like inappropriate, but like this yeah. true story. We'll no. let you, if you yeah. don't want to talk, you can just <laughs> no. tell me. We okay. can, yeah. No, she goes, is it true that like you guys are having a bunch of orgies in the Olympic village? That's the question everyone always asks. Like right? every Olympics, it's like. Is it always that? Everyone always talks about that. In my <laughs> first Olympics, I was like, because for soccer, we don't stay in the village until the final, typically, mm-hmm. unless you like play at that venue. But we play all over the, the host country. So you hear all these stories. And then we got into the village and I was like, people make these stories up and they like their imaginations run wild as to like what happens in the village. And like when you're done playing or, you know, competing, it is a party, but at least if you want it to be. And but you're 18 getting asked this question. Yeah, I know. I was 17 at the time. I was like, so what'd you say? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but like, I did. I literally was like, I don't think so. You poor but thing. I don't know. I was like, I don't uh, know. I'm so sorry. So did you not realize that that's what it was going to be like? See, here's the thing. I think a lot of people prepared me for it. Because I have friends that like won. And I had friends that like got the full experience too. And they're like, you know, prepped me for it. But I don't think their experience was like at the country of like their parents like totally par- like it was a completely different different narrative yeah and so I kind of went in with like, these expectations right just so naive and then all of a sudden I get there and it just blows up in my face <laughs> like, oh my god okay so I had to like regroup I had to like map out a schedule like figure it out yeah so what did you do to try to handle like all that stress and being overwhelmed and feeling like you had no privacy and were constantly being bombarded by people that should have just been there to like help out essentially. Kelly, my room had heated floors. So did you lay on it? So I literally opened the window. It was like negative 10 degrees every day. Open the window, would just sleep on my heated floor. Just to be a calming. But it was like the best. Like honestly, like I, the outdoors outside of my room was scary. Uh-huh. So like in my room, I was like stoked. I would it watch your... Netflix. Yeah. Because like the Netflix in Korea was like fire. <laughs> I was just watching Netflix, catching up on seasons that didn't exist in the US. I was just like having a grand old time. And then like I'd have to go practice and yeah, because that's like important, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when that wasn't the case, I'd go straight back to my room and just hang out. So you hold up. Yeah. But it was a good experience. I feel like there were definitely some curveballs thrown my way but other than that it was cool yeah then the aftermath was insane yeah no well before we get to the aftermath i want to talk about what led to the aftermath which was your performance in the half pipe you won before you were even done you basically got a victory lap on the half pipe which not every person gets to do so and and you famously tweeted right before your your final run which like everyone loved to talk about and i that was so funny. And I remember watching, watching you compete and it was, you were just like, so you're electric when you're like, when you're out there performing, it's incredible. So you were overwhelmed, but you show up for finals day, you crush your first run, you go into your second run, knowing you're going to win an Olympic gold medal. How do you feel at that point? You know how I said, like, it was pretty hectic, like outside, like at the village and stuff and just life when I wasn't, you know, in my room. The other place that was my comfort zone was, you know, the half pipe because like totally. that I knew and like I felt safe there and it was only people I knew that were in that area. And so for me, like I was like stoked to be there. And when, you know, the ha- it was like great conditions. The pipe was perfect. Like it was probably the best half pipe I've ridden till now, like honestly. 
And so when I was like competing, you know, you're kind of at that point where you're like, all right, I'm here, you know, here we are, whatever, let's do our best. Like it is what it is type deal. I landed my first run. It's like, cool. That's like a good start. I have a solid score on the board right now. That's hopefully this means I get a medal at least. Yeah. So because normally like when you have like a 90 ish, like it usually means you're going to end up on the podium unless like some craziness happens where everyone's getting 90s, which does happen a lot too. But a lot of times if you get a 90, you're like pretty, you can be confident about it. And then so I was like, all right. So the first run on us is like, something I call a safety run so it's a run that I'm really comfortable doing that scores well and so was stoked I landed that and then my second run I was like I'm gonna try to do the back-to-back 1080s because that's like my harder run that I have planned for most contests yeah tried on my second run fell over whatever but then I noticed that I didn't really like look at the scores or like how I was doing because I just I didn't want to look at that. Like, I'm scared. So that's why I ended up tweeting because I just didn't want to, like, look at how I was doing. No way. I'm not going to, like, here's the thing. What if I would kept looking at it and then I got bumped down to, like, fifth? That's one of those days. I'm going to be stressed. So I'm like, I can't even go home with the medal. Like, that's crazy. So if I keep looking at it, I'm just going to get anxiety. Yeah. So, like, I didn't look. I was just on Twitter looking at memes. So the Twitter was to keep you... <laughs> From freaking out, where yeah. a lot of people would think that Twitter like breaks your focus, but that was the opposite for you. You were looking for something to take your mind off of it. Yeah. Like I was just like <laughs> on my phone, just like hanging out, tweeting, like talking about my feelings. Cause you know how Twitter is like tweet, tweet your feelings or something, or how yeah. do you feel today? Yeah. I was like, well, thank you for asking. I'm feeling <laughs> like hungry. Yeah. And um, I don't, I just didn't expect that to happen. Also, I hadn't really used Twitter before. So I was like really new to it and I was like very excited. And um, I was like tweeting, like talking about my feelings. I was like texting my friends, like calling my mom who has a bottom of the pipe, like about to cry because she's like so nervous. And she was like, my mom told me she couldn't like talk to me anymore because she was too nervous. I was like, I'm the one competing. Why are you more nervous? Like talk to me. (laughs) But yeah, it was a vibe. (laughs) So for the, for people who are listening that don't, maybe know how it works you get three runs or four runs we get three, three. Yeah, yeah so you had like your safety run you fell on your second run but going into your third did you know that you won gold already or had you luck did you take a peek there's like the athlete tent and then there's like little computers that are mm-hmm. like at the end of the tent that just tell you the scores like no video no nothing it's just the scores but I was like on the other side and it was like cold so I was like, nah, I'm just going to hang out by the heaters. A lot of the coaches are like standing up front trying to look at the scores to see how their athletes are doing. So I was like, ah, whatever. And then it was like my turn. Like there's people that come in and grab you, like rally the next three people. Mm-hmm. So like someone came and grabbed me and I was like, okay, cool. Right when you're about to like go into the other tent where like the start gate essentially, there's like a screen and it's like a live feed of the contest and like the rankings. And I was like, oh, like, I'm still <laughs> first. <laughs> what? I'm like, okay. So then I was like, all right, cool. Like, that's dope. And then there were like three girls in front of me. So at that point, I'm like kind of holding my breath. Yeah. I'm like, come on, y'all come. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you can make this really chill for me, like really hard yeah. for me. <laughs> so, um, so then I go and then like, it was like chill, still in first, still in first, still in first. And then the girl that went right before me like fell on our last hit and I was like oh okay like I won like what so I'm like holding tears back in my goggles like before I'm going wow, you're about my to go third down. run wow but it was just like it was such a crazy moment I think like because I think I the whole time I just thought of it slightly jokingly because I was just like thinking about how hard I worked for this one contest and it kind of made me realize that like Yes, that's important, but also it's really dumb at the same time. Like, big I, picture. Yeah, like I need to think big picture. Like I need to enjoy every moment moment of my life instead of dedicating every important moment of my life to another moment in time. So true. So that was just like funny to me because I think I really realized that when I got there because I just got something completely different than what I was anticipating. For sure. When I got there and I was like so stoked and like tears are just flooding my eyes. And I was like, all right, now like I got to try this. 
because like that's no fun like I only get this platform once you know or more than once but I gotta wait four more years to get it again so I went and landed it and then I became the first woman to do back-to-back 1080s at the Olympics and then I was the youngest female snowboarder to win the Olympics and crazy just so incredible do you think that knowing that you had already won gold made you go for the back-to-back 1080 or do you think you would have done it regardless i would have done it regardless all right i always do a safety run so the first one i do is always just like something easy that i know i'm gonna land like 98 percent of the time and then i have like a always like a fun run lined up that i like to try that's always you know more intense and like more difficult but yeah that's awesome okay so aftermath of the olympics you said it was crazy you're still stressed over it. I can oh my tell. God. I like have nightmares about it. <laughs> Why? What happened? Picture this. You get your medal. It's stoked. Right? You have like the cute little award. Oh yeah. The, the little like prize the, they give you. Yeah. The little yeah. thing. It's so cute. It's the, it's the it's whatever fun. the little uh, mascot is of the, the game. So- Sohorang or something. Sohorang. Yeah. And, um, you know, they play the national anthem, a lot of cameras, a lot of yelling, like everyone chanting like USA, USA. Awesome stuff. Like best moment. And then I see my family like for like 30 seconds because everyone's pulling you in different directions. Yeah. See my family briefly. And my mom's like crying. My sister's crying. Everyone's crying. And I'm crying. And I'm like so happy. And then after the cute little ceremony, my family and I go to doping and there Which were, for people who don't know, doping is where you get tested for tested. illegal yeah. substances, which so, yeah. so is you part have of someone, the process. Right. You have someone like staring at your area while you pee, <laughs> which is like really, really disturbing. Um, was that your first time being part of doping? No. no okay. I was just no, checking. I've done it before. Yeah. The first time though, it took me seven hours to pee. These oh, people were my at goodness. my house for seven hours. I like you need to drink more water. I was nervous. Like I was shy. <laughs> I was 13. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you were 13. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bless your heart. Yeah. Jesus. Now I'm like, now I let it loose. I don't yeah, care. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like normal. Okay. But, so you're doping with your family. But this doping situation in particular, there were like hundreds of people like chasing my family and I to doping. So it's all like photographers, people bumping into one another. I have like six security guards like surrounding me, like keeping me protected. But like everyone, things moving fast. Like I'm like, getting kind of like overwhelmed and like anxious and like claustrophobic while everyone's like really excited for me and like happy. It was like a lot of emotion. Totally. And we get into doping and I pee. And I'm like really happy and I like send everything away. And I just sit there for like 20 minutes because I know as soon as I go outside, it's going to be really crazy again. So I'm just sitting there catching up with my family, like talking about like how cool that was and how fun that is and um, how we we did it and all of that. And I go outside and it's just like people chasing me. And honestly, I don't remember what happens next because it was just like so overwhelming. Like, you know how it is. Like everyone's just screaming your name. Everyone's running after you, like grabbing you, like pulling you left and right. Like you're just looking for a familiar face to go and hang out with because you're just scared. And from there on, it was crazy. Like I had to go back to my village and like pack everything in my room, which was a lot of stuff. Cause you know, they give you so much stuff for the Olympics. Yeah. So I had to pack all of that, like my snowboards, like everything, like, and go to the other village to do all the press stuff. And then like, I had to change outfits for like the podium later that night. And they bring all of that stuff. My mom had to help me pack everything. I definitely lost a few bags on the way. Cause it was just like so much was happening. And then we got to awards and I was just doing interviews till like three in the morning. It was insane. So looking at the next Olympics, are you wanting to win because you know that all of that comes with it? Or are you kind of like, I don't need to do that again? I would love to win again. I think I'm going to be better at hiding. (laughs) Makes sense. I think like now I know what it could potentially be like because I think I had like the worst case scenario, like the craziest scenario possible. I think I got it my first time. For like, sure. I don't expect that to happen every single time. So yeah. I think that's a good thing because I like got that out of the way. And now hopefully it'll be like a chill experience from here on out. Yeah. But 
honestly, I always feel like I say, oh my God, that was so crazy. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do that again. But it was really cool. Just like getting everyone's support and like everyone was so stoked for me and having like my family there. My grandma watched me compete for the first time. Like just like things like that, that I thought were really special all happened at that moment in time. So, you know, it was a really it is special yeah Yeah. those moments that it is special but people don't realize like as hyped as and excited as you are there's so many other emotions going on inside of you and like around you that make it a very unique and different experience that no one would you don't know until you're in it yeah I think what I took away from it, it it's more like you work for something so hard like it's something that you're told to do well at like you want to win the Olympics ideally like that's something I was told by everyone really and then it happens and then you're like stoked to happen but then you're doing all of these other things I didn't really see my family till like two days after I won because of all the stuff I was doing so in a sense it's kind of sad because you can't celebrate that really special moment with the people you love instead you're doing what everyone else kind of wants you to do and needs you to do at that moment so it's It's so true um speaking of spending time and celebrating with your family what did your gold medal mean to your dad he was so happy he called me his american dream oh (laughs) i'm gonna cry that is the sweetest thing that's i mean it's true that's like think about it and and yeah yeah, i mean everything about your story is just amazing how stars aligned i know like my dad was like i think he was just so proud in a sense of himself too my dad sacrificed so much like he went bankrupt multiple times we had to sell houses like get rid of houses move multiple times because like what I was doing was just so expensive but he wanted me to do what I loved and like saw that I was passionate about something which was really important to him and um he was full-on like willing to support my something that I loved and like just seeing and knowing that that all paid off for him I'm sure it was just like insane and he's just so grateful he was he did that and happy he did it because there were so many times where we had doubts like even I had doubts I was like I don't know if I can do this like this is so hard like I'm tired I miss my mom I miss my friends but then it all paid off it did it all worked out which is pretty incredible so you have the overwhelming aftermath you come back to the states and but you still chose to compete following the olympics did you take like some time off? Did you have the post-Olympic depression or were you really excited to be done with it and like actually felt energized afterwards? I was really excited to get back to it because there was so much stuff. The other thing is the year before the Olympics, I didn't really push myself. So when I was like 16, I didn't push myself because I wanted to stick with what I knew just so I could not get injured. And so I really wanted to do a lot of things, but I stopped myself from doing them just to be like smart. Like I didn't need to be doing risky things when I didn't necessarily need to and no one was doing anything. So when I was done, I was like, nice. So now if I get hurt, I got four years to chill. Like I can recover in four years. So I like went straight back into it, like tried to learn a bunch of tricks. And then, um, yeah, I was like, I just love to be back. So post Olympics, like you said, you, you were excited because you kind of like chilled going into the Olympics, not to get hurt, do anything crazy so that you could perform like you wanted to. But then after the Olympics, you're the first woman to land. And I can't even repeat it because there's so many numbers and words in it. A, a trick that no other woman had landed yet. So yes. how did that happen? Yeah, so I um, was the first woman to land a front double 10. And that was a trick I was like talking about earlier, like in Switzerland. But it's kind of like a trick that a lot of the guys, like all guys do it. And you just don't really see a lot of women doing it. And so I was really comfortable with the setup trick that's like the one before. So I was doing a Crippler 7, which is like the single version of it. And so I was like, all right, I really want to try this. So I went and tried it without an airbag and like fell on my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, scary. And then I went back and tried it again and I got it around. And after a few days, I was able to land them. (laughs) That's insane. So it's the type of thing where you see a trick or you're like, oh, I haven't tried that yet. And I I think I can do it. I'm going to try it. Yeah. Like I have a lot of tricks like that lined up in my head right now that I was so excited to go try. So I just need snow and open resorts. <laughs> That's awesome. You still had that love even after going through the craziness that was the Olympics. <laughs> and it, it is cool that you had the ability to start, you know, 
focus on the next four years. Yeah. But since then you've now you're, you're going to Princeton, you're enrolled. You, you went, you got in, you went in last year, freshman year was last year. How has that transition to college been like? I guess I didn't necessarily lie about loving snowboarding as much as I did when I came back, but it was more so, it was just, it was getting really repetitive for me. Just like competing, traveling, the same people all the time, always like no new faces, nothing. And Mind you, like the people I was surrounding myself with, I knew since I was like a child, like seven. We all grew up together. We all competed against each other at a young age. So like everyone I knew, I knew for a long time. And I just felt I was getting nervous in a sense. I thought I needed to experience more. And I really wanted to experience school. And I got into like a really great school And I just thought that would be a perfect opportunity because I also had broken my ankle the season after the Olympics. So I was like, I'm going to let this heal while I go to school. Like, it'll be a really good experience for me to change this, change it up a bit, different scenery, meet new people with like different backgrounds and like life experiences. I think I could learn a lot. And I did. I have like so many amazing new friends. My best friend right now is from Alabama. And she has like owns a cow farm. No way. Yeah. Like she's always going to cow sales. And it's just like, I can't find that in snowboarding. I can't find someone from Alabama that has a cow farm and like buys cows. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Or I'll just like meet a bunch of people from like different backgrounds or like different places that I didn't even know of. And it's just really, really like, I don't know. I'm really grateful. I'm happy I did that. I learned so much. For sure. That's awesome. That's something you should be very proud of because Princeton's not a bad school to go to. Are you going to compete while you're in school? Or are you just going to, for four years, going to focus? Are you going to try to split it up? What's your plan? So I actually just did it for a year. I got a leave of absence. So I will be able to compete fully this coming season. Hopefully if it happens, if COVID isn't around anymore, I hope yeah. not. But if you know, it happens and I'll be able to compete full time. I'll be able to, you know, right now I'm working on like dryland training, getting my body back into snowboarding shape, um, you know, after that freshman 15. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm just, you know, really excited to get back. And I think the break was really good because I'm super excited to get back in contests and start competing again and seeing everyone again. I just think I got kind of bored for a bit, just like needed to switch it up. For sure. I think that happens to most people. And I think it's very mature of you for being able to recognize that and find a way to like revitalize yourself and be excited about it. Cause you obviously, I assume want to go and do many more things in snowboarding, but that leads us to our last couple questions. So we do these repeat questions for everybody. So there's two. So the first one is how much of your success is luck versus hard work? I think that there are certain things that I consider luck. It's um, weather in my sport. It's weather and um, conditions, honestly. Everything else that comes with it comes is like hard work. Like I, even if it's snowing out and windy, I need to work hard in those conditions just in case there's a contest that are going to be under those conditions. I need to know how to do that. And learning how to do that is not easy. And it's a lot of hard work. But then I guess there is luck. Like sometimes I get really lucky when I don't fall when I definitely should have fallen. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. All right. So percentage, what would you say? I would say like, I'm going to say like 35% luck, like 65% hard work. Okay, cool. All right. You've done so much in your first 20 years. What do the next 20 look like? I want a family. I love that. That's awesome. I know. I would love to be like a young mom, like not now, but like, like ideally like within the next 10 years, like I would love to like start a family because that would be so fun. But then again, who knows? Maybe I'll be like a professional snowboarder till I'm like 40. Like, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. So that's also where luck comes in place. It was like, which way will my life, you know, decide to go? I'm really excited. But in 20 years, I'm going to be 40. Like, I make fun of my sister for being 35. And like, <laughs> the thought of me being 40 is so scary because I'm used to being the baby. Yeah, you'll you still know? be the baby at 40. But 
everyone else will just be much older. But there's just more, there's going to be more babies, you know? <laughs> that is true. That is true. You will no longer be the actual baby. <laughs> well, whatever your next 20 years look like, it sounds like they're going to be pretty awesome. And you've done so much already. So you should be very proud of yourself. And I'm excited to watch you because I've already enjoyed what you've done so far. And again, I feel like you're going to do so much more. So sweet. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. So fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. You'll have to come out to a game. Um, I want to, please. Yeah, I'll message sure. you after this. Yes, I would love definitely. to. Definitely. Yeah. And then you, we can go snowboarding sometime in the future. Oh my gosh. Anytime. <laughs> you just let me know. I'm more oh. than happy to take you. I love snowboarding. <laughs> you don't understand. Like I'm, I can't wait. I mean, I can wait till I retire from soccer, but I'm, I can't wait to retire because I'm going to snowboard. I'm going to surf all the time. It's like my well, favorite thing get, to Come out here to Cali. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also don't forget to sign up for the Just Women Sports newsletter. It's everything you need to see and know in women's sports delivered straight to your inbox. And while you're at it, throw us a follow on social. It's at Just Women Sports. Our show is co-produced by Just Women Sports and Boom Integrated, a division of John Marshall Media. Big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lyne. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Post-production by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Sarah Storm, and Haley Kottmeyer. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. See you next week. <laughs>